Amen. I brought a friend to church today. His name is his name is Buddy. Everybody say hi, Buddy. And uh, we have some fun today. Amen. I believe you can have a little bit of fun in the house of God. Amen. I, I, I am excited because my wife is back. And um, if she keeps singing like that, baby number two going to keep coming. But um, I'm just want to throw it out there. Amen. I asked God for a worshiping wife. And he gave me that. Amen. And uh, I'm so proud of her. I'm her number one fan. And if she says otherwise, she's lying. And um, I, I heard that girl. Hey, I love you too. Her love tank is full. All my married couples know what I'm talking about. Amen. Marriage ministry last night was off the hook. And I thank God for that. Amen. I'm just giving these guys a little bit of time to set up. We're going to leave the lights off today if that's all right with y'all. Don't get funny. For all you engaged couples, keep it holy. And um, we're in week two of our series, Living Like Christ. Um, I believe it's important that as believers, we live lifestyles that are unto the Lord Jesus Christ, that are similar to what Jesus would live in his life, that are similar to what Jesus would do, amen, that we live the principles that Jesus lived in his time. And I believe it's when we do that, we're going to have a dramatic impact on the people around us. Praise God. John, or 1 John 2, 6, John, he, he, he says this. He says, whoever claims to live in him, meaning Jesus, must live as Jesus did. Everybody say that with me. Whoever claims to live in him must live. Somebody shout must. Live as Jesus did. Come on, bow your heads. We're going to pray right now. Dear Heavenly Father, we just thank you for this time of worship. We thank you for the worship team. We thank you for the setup team, all our volunteers who just work so tirelessly, God, who, who do this just to reach souls. We thank you so much, God, for those people who carry the vision of the church, God. And we ask you now that you would touch our hearts. Open our spiritual ears. Lord, prepare us right now that we would receive a word from you in this day. Come on, somebody say, Lord, open my heart. To receive your word in Jesus' name. I want to preach today on labels. Labels. We, we use them daily, maybe even without even realizing it. They're part of your everyday life. And labels, labels are something that, that really direct us in, in life. Labels are a good thing. Labels are, are a good thing. I thank God for labels while shopping at the supermarket. Yesterday, I was shopping at Price Right, the one on Main Street, not the ghetto one. And, and, and I was, my, my wife, we, we ended up seeing a bunch of people we knew and they were talking to me. And so what I did was I played, you know, the defensive man. And I let my wife shop while I took care of the people who wanted to see the baby. I just misguided them. Amen. And I just ran around the store so they wouldn't see me and stuff like that. And she picked up this, this ground beef, this roll of ground beef. And nowadays, they think that ground beef is gold. And, and the, the price is just so high for ground beef. And, and, but this ground beef in particular didn't have a price on it. And I was really disturbed because the label was not there. And I had to go find a price checker. And, and I had to go find how much it was. And it was $10. Amen. Praise God for $10. Three pounds. Amen. And, and labels direct you 
in a, in a supermarket as to what are the contents of the cans or what is the content of the thing you are buying or what are the ingredients inside of the canister or what is it inside or how much it might cost. Labels are effective. I once read a book called It about a pastor who played a prank on one of his friends and he went to his friend's house and, and he took all the labels off of all the canned food in his house. And that's a great prank to play, but not at my house. I'll kill you. And, and the pastor's friend said that he had mystery dinner for the next three months. It was just like, whatever's in the can, we're going to eat it. If it's going to be, you know, the nastiest thing, we're going to eat it. If it's the greatest thing, we're going to eat it. But labels define things in our life. Labels, the thing about labels is this. Labels define the interior without the need of inspecting the interior. See, if, if you look at something, it says pickles. You're going to know it's pickles. You're going to believe that it, you're not going to open up. Let me make sure there are pickles in here. If you see something that says butter, I can't believe it's not butter. You're going to know it's not butter. Amen. Because labels help you and direct you and they help you stay organized and they keep you in the know. Labels are good until you put them on people. Labels are good until you put them on people because you can't tell from the outside what's on the inside. And labels define the contents of the interior without having to look at the interior. And maybe, maybe you've been subjected to labels in your life. Maybe, maybe you're the short guy. Amen. All my short people said, mm Maybe, maybe you're labeled as the funny guy. Praise God. Amen. My wife says, no, not so funny. Maybe you're labeled as the girl who don't know how to dress. Amen. And maybe you're labeled as the overweight one. Maybe you were labeled in school as the idiot. Maybe you were labeled as the girl who was very promiscuous or very loose with her body. The girl who was around the block. Maybe your label was something that hurt you. Maybe your label is Democrat. Maybe your label is Republican. But labels, when you put them on to people, don't really work. Because one label cannot define an entire person. And I read this scripture, and it's in Luke chapter 6. And to me, it, it, might, it might really, when I read it, not resonate with you. But I hope that through the context of this entire sermon, it will really speak something to you. Amen. Labels... In scripture are powerful. Luke chapter 6 and verse 12, it says this, and in these days Jesus went out to the mountain to pray. All night he continued in prayer to God. And when day came, he called his disciples and chose from them 12, whom he named apostles. And Simon, who he named Peter, Andrew, his brother, James and John, Philip and Bartholomew, Matthew and Thomas and James, the son of Alphaeus, and Simon, who was called the Zealot, and Judas, the son of James, and also Judas Iscariot, who became a traitor. Notice Judas wasn't a traitor when Jesus first met him. He became a traitor. And in this part of Jesus' life, he has reached a point where he has hundreds of disciples. Most folks don't know that Jesus did not have 12 disciples. He had probably thousands of disciples. Jesus had so many disciples that he decided it's time to name 12 apostles. 
people who would be the carriers of the message of Jesus. So Jesus, he commits himself to a night of prayer. And I I love this because most of the great things you'll see Jesus do, the scripture before it, you'll see Jesus in prayer. You'll see Jesus seeking God for major decisions in his life. Church, I said it last week and I'll say it this week. It's not one of my points. It is actually the point that as a Christian, you should saturate every decision with prayer. Should I go here? Should I do this? Should I watch that? Should I date him? Should I marry her? What should I do? I should saturate that in prayer. And Jesus didn't just pray for five minutes and say, Lord, whatever happens, you just, your will be done. Amen. He prayed all night. He prayed all night. Last night, my daughter kept me up to about four in the morning. And I was thinking at that moment, I was thinking of the scripture in my preaching. I'm like, how did Jesus stay up all night? I'm dying here. And Jesus prayed all night. And in that time of prayer, the father communicated to Jesus, and he was like, this is who you're going to pick. These 12 men who will be endowed with power, endowed with the title of apostle, endowed with the authority to carry the message of the cross and the gospel of Jesus Christ and the grace of Jesus Christ across the world. These 12 men would change the world. If you look at Jesus, his ministry was only within a 50-mile radius. But these men would take the message of the gospel across the world. Somebody say the world. And their names were Simon, who he named Peter, Andrew, his brother, James, John, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, the son of Alphaeus, Simon, who was the zealot, and Judas, the son of James, and Judas Iscariot. Could we just, could we just, I, I think I need a volunteer. Can I get somebody? Manny, you're big as heck. Come over here. I have a little job for a big guy. Give a round of applause for Manny. Come on. You know, Manny, as I call these out, I don't have a headset mic today. Just put them up as I call them out at your discretion. Not yet. I didn't call that out. And the first one, step out of my light. Nancy shooting video. (laughs) The first one I want to talk about is a man named Thomas. And Thomas, the Bible says his name was Thomas, who they called Didymus. And the word Didymus means twin. And it's not known that he was a twin. It's believed that he was just a double-minded man. And so they say his name was Thomas, and they called him Didymus. And this is the Thomas that when Jesus was resurrected, it's the very same Thomas, and Jesus presented himself to the apostles after his resurrection. He wasn't sure if it was Jesus. And then Jesus walks through the wall, and then he makes his body whole in the flesh And this guy says, I'm not sure if it's you. I have to touch your scars. If anything, we could say, you just took one. What does it say there? This guy is not dependable. Put that up. Come on. You got to call it. I called it out. Somebody say, not dependable. Thomas, come over here. Come over here. Run over here. Run, 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 run. Come on. Run. That's your tape and that's your stuff. Thomas was a doubter. Have you ever met a doubter in your life? A person who, I believe it when I see it. You got no faith, got no trust in God, got no belief in the Lord. It just says, you know what, I am going to believe God no matter what. They're just a doubter. Somebody shout doubter. Ask your neighbor, are you a doubter? Put it up anywhere. Put it up anywhere. Are you a doubter? He was double-minded. James chapter 4, verse 8, no, rather chapter 1, verse 8, it says that a double-minded man is unstable in all of his ways. Have you ever met somebody who can't even make a decision about life? 
Well, I don't know what God wants for me in my home. I don't know what God wants in my job. I don't know if I should marry this girl. I don't know if I should date this guy. I don't know what I should eat today. It's not that easy. Somebody caught that. Amen. And they're just double-minded. And I think that Thomas was emotionally, somebody say emotionally, unstable. Thomas was definitely emotionally unstable because at one point he's like, we're we're just going to go die with Jesus. And then the next point he's like, I don't even know if Jesus is really alive. And then you have, and then you have, let me find their stuff. And then you have these other guys, Andrew, Peter, James, and John. These guys, these guys were what you would call nobodies. They were just fishermen. If people looked at them, they were nobody. Somebody see, they were nobody. They were just regular people. People would have labeled them regular fishermen. They were not scholars. They were not smart people. They were kind of the lowest of the lows. They had one of the easiest and not easiest, but worst and normal jobs. They were just fishermen. There was nothing special about them. And as a matter of fact, Peter was a lunatic. Peter was violent, Peter was crazy, and Peter had a temper. And a couple times the Bible says that Peter even talked back to Jesus, and Peter would try and tell Jesus what was going to happen. And, and if you were to label this guy, you would not label them as ministry material. They're, they're not ministry material. They're not somebody you would say, man, I want that guy right there. He's going to change the nations. Labels. And Jesus had thousands of disciples, and he chooses these 12. And I guarantee you, somebody's in the crowd like, really? Peter just cussed me out because I cut him off on the bread line. Really? Peter just, he, he pulled a knife on me because I took his water. Peter's nuts. And Andrew, he's quiet. He doesn't even say anything. He just brings people to Jesus. He's a bringer. That's all he does. And people would have labeled them as nobodies. And then you have Bartholomew and Philip and James. Bartholomew, also known as Nathaniel. We didn't even know who these guys are. They're absolute nobodies. The Bible doesn't really talk about them. The Bible doesn't talk about great things that they did. The Bible doesn't mention great things and exploits in their lives. They're nobody. Extreme. No, the first fishermen were absolutely nobodies, but these guys are nobody nobodies. They're the guys that nobody cares about. The ones that are unassuming and and least likely to succeed. They would have been in the yearbook and and they would have been like a least likely to succeed next to their name. Because no one expected nothing of these men. And then, and then, oh, come here, come here. You had Matthew. And Matthew was a tax collector. And Matthew would have been known to be a thief, to be a scumbag, to be a traitor. Because Matthew was a Jewish person who was taxing the, the Jews. And, and what they would do, the tax collectors, is if the tax was $10, they would charge $20 and keep 10 for themselves. And they would rob people. And people hated tax collectors. And Jesus made a, made a lifestyle of hanging around people that others hated. He, he, he would go to those who were mislabeled and he would go to those who, who were dishonest and he would go to those and he would call them into service and other people would, would label them nobodies and traitors and scumbags and thieves and liars. But Jesus didn't care about the labels of others. And Jesus picking his magnificent 12, he cared more about what God said 
about those individuals than what man said about those individuals. Are you with me today? Somebody say, hi, buddy. He's looking better. He's, he's looking all right. And then, then you have Judas, the son of James. Not to be confused with Judas, the traitor, or Judas Iscariot. Judas, this is another one. We kind of really just don't know who this is. He's another nobody that Jesus chose. And then, and then, and then you have Judas, and he, Judas Iscariot, and he's just a total, he's a total betrayer. He's, he's just somebody you don't want in your life. As a matter of fact, the book of John declares that Judas was stealing from the treasury. In other words, they would take an offering and Judas was stealing from it. Because Judas was a thief. And Judas was a liar. And Judas had a selfish heart. But Jesus gave him a chance. He was not concerned with all these people. He was not concerned with the labels and delight. My favorite one, my favorite one is, is Simon called the zealot. Because the zealots, the zealots, he was probably like the worst one. Because the zealot is a person who is a Jewish nationalist. They hated the Roman occupation of Israel and they were known to start riots and revolts and the Romans, were, they were known to, to go and, and kill people and to cause riots in cities and damage cities and they were known to carry daggers and they would walk around in the marketplace and it was crowded and they would stab Roman soldiers. They would carry weapons. They were violent. Here, come on. Come on. I got a bunch of labels for Simon the Zealot. He was a zealot. He was a rebel. He was filled with hatred for people who were made in God's image. Simon the Zealot, he was a hateful, murderous, violent thug, to say the least. But at some point, Jesus, after praying, he looks at Simon and he's like, Daddy told me to choose you. I chose a murderer. I chose an insurrectionist. I chose a rebel to do my will. And, and, and there's a story in John chapter 8, and, and Jesus is teaching, and they bring this adulterous woman before Jesus and, and you probably heard the story, and they, they say, Jesus, she was caught in the act of adultery. The law of Moses said we should kill her. What do you say we should do? And Jesus, he looks up, and after a couple of seconds, he says, let he who is without sin cast the first stone. And in that moment, everybody labeled her a whore. Everyone labeled her a, a, an adulterous woman, that she was just a fornicator. But Jesus labeled her forgiven. And Jesus, oh, no, you got it. These are all Simon. He's, he's really bad. Those are all for Simon. He's, he's a thug. He's a crip. He was hanging out with Pac and all that stuff. And, 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 and Manny, for now, you can give me some light in that center wash. And, and, so, and, so, and so Simon, si- you're all set. Simon, somebody get, put your hands together for, for him as he slips away. Simon is a crazy man. And I, you know what I find amazing is we call her the adulterous woman in Scripture. We preach about the adulterous woman, but when the story ended, she was the forgiven woman. But we put permanent labels on temporary situations in people's lives. 
Why was it Jesus was able to look past all the issues of these 12 men? Why was it that Jesus was able to look past the outside labels that others would put on them? And, and, and sometimes labels don't mean lies. Labels could be true, but labels are temporary when it comes to people because people could change. here's my first point for today. I hope you're taking notes. Remember, we're a church of note takers. Amen. You can bust out your phone if you can't see what you're writing. And here's point number one for living like Christ this week. If you're going to live like Christ, you must examine the heart of others. You must examine the heart. Jesus looked at the people around him, the sinners and the 12 that he chose, and he examined the heart. And although they were not qualified by the standards of man, God saw fit for Jesus to impact 12 sinners. God saw fit for Jesus to impact people who were robbers and thieves and liars and tax collectors and murderers and violent people. We read a scripture of a man who was a prophet in the book of Samuel, and his name happens to be Samuel. It's his book, and it's in, it's in chapter 16, verse 7. Samuel, God says to go anoint one of the sons of Jesse as, as the next king of Israel. And the Bible says that Samuel goes to the house of Jesse and he goes through all of Jesse's sons. And he's like, oh, this guy's going to be king. And God says this in, in, in chapter 16, verse 7. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees man not as man sees, but he looks upon the, the inward appearance of the heart. God sees the heart. This is an encouraging thought that when God sees you, he sees his original intentions for you. He sees the purpose he wrote into your DNA. He sees the destiny he's planned for your life. He sees the road that he's carved out with his own mouth. He sees what he put in you and he recognizes you. Just like he recognized Peter, Peter as crazy and wild as he was. And here's the thing. I don't know what Peter went through in his life to make him be that person who was full of anger, who was loud and rambunctious and violent. What did Peter go through that Jesus had to undo in order to save his life? How different the heart is in comparison to the label that man puts on us. Man looked at Peter and saw him as loud and crazy, but Jesus looked at him and he saw him as the greatest apostle among the bunch. Jesus knew that if he could harness the loudness of Peter's voice and the craziness, that, that his craziness would turn into boldness, that his loudness would turn into authority. Because Jesus saw past the labels of man. Jesus was able to see what no one else could see because Jesus looked at the heart. And to examine the heart means that God looks at the center of who you are. It means that, in other words, that God looks at us and sees everything that he planned and placed in you. And he desires to stir it up. Labels. What does man say you are? What does God say you are? How do we examine this heart? We seek out the good in every person and look at who God made them to be. We don't judge them. Far too often, we're quick to point out the bad in others. We're quick to say, oh, they're like this or, oh, they're like that. We drive by somebody on the street. Why is she dressed like that? We put a label on them as loose or stupid or ignorant or ghetto. We go into the supermarkets and we see people and we label them based on what we can see. But yet God says, I don't think about people based on what you can see. I look at them based on what no one could see. 
Why is that young man so feminine? He must be a homosexual. No, he was molested as a kid. Why has she got so many kids? Because she had no self-worth. And we judge and we talk about people. I wish you would be honest because I'm, I'm going to walk up your street today that you talk about people. And, and then you just, I don't know. I, I leave it at that. When you leave it at that, you've already said enough. We sit around tables and we get together and we talk about people's relationships. We talk about people's kids. We talk about everybody. Even in the church, we just talk about each other. We gossip. What is that about? Who are you to label someone that God calls special and purposed and destined? Who are you? The answer is you're nobody. You have to look at the heart. Far too often you're quick to point out the bad in others. Judgmental about everything they do, about them, about their lifestyle. If Samuel, he has this revelation where God's like, Samuel, I don't look at the outside, I look at the inside. And then he comes upon a little boy about 12 or 13 years old named David. And David, the Bible says he was short and ruddy, good looking, but he didn't look like a king. He ain't talked like a king, probably didn't walk like a king, but that was the greatest king Israel would know. And I want to talk to you today about recognizing the things in others that no one else sees. I don't want to focus on you labeling bad people. I want to focus on you bringing out the best in others. Because that's what Christ did. When Christ was around people, he was around a man named Zacchaeus who happened to be another tax collector. And Zacchaeus was a thief and a robber himself. And Jesus never, the Bible doesn't say Jesus told him to do this or told him to do that. Jesus just had dinner with him. And the Bible says that by the time he was done and and Jesus was walking out the house, Zacchaeus is like, Lord, by the way, I'm going to pay back everyone I stole from four times what I stole from them. Because being around people and being around Christ-like people should bring out the best in you. People should be uncomfortable sitting around you. People should be uncomfortable cursing around you. People should be uncomfortable getting drunk around you. People should be uncomfortable getting high around you. People should be uncomfortable gossiping around you. People should be uncomfortable doing bad things because you walk like Christ. And the reason they do do it sometimes is because they're used to you chiming in, but that's for another sermon. The person you might discount and disqualify might be the very individual God has called to do a great work. For God examines the heart. And Jesus looked at these 12 men and he looked at them. And although there were failure in them, there was, there, was, there, was, there was all types of mess and turmoil and there was all types of sin. Jesus saw great potential. God saw, you should be happy that God saw potential in a mess. That God, God don't need people who think they got it all put together. Because when you got it all put together, you don't need God. God needs people who understand, Lord, I am a mess. Every time before I preach, I say, Lord, I got nothing to say to these people. I need you to help me. I need you to strengthen me. I need your spirit to anoint me. I got nothing good enough to say. Lord, you speak through me. I'm just the vessel. God needs people who are willing to to, to realize the truth about themselves, that we are not that special. And that we need God. 
It was the same way he looked at Moses, Moses who was a murderer, and Moses who was, who was a runner, and he looked at Joshua who was a murderer. And God looks on us not based on the bad decisions we have made, but based on the purposes he planted in us. And I love that God chose David because the Bible tells us this. The Bible says that God looks at a thing from its end to its beginning. And that means that when God saw the beginning of, of, of David's call, he had already seen the end of it and everything in between. And that means that when he called David as a king, he already knew David would kill Uriah. He already knew David would sleep with Bathsheba. He already knew David would be an adulterous man. But sin does not disqualify you from God's call. And God knows and knew that David would fall, falter, and fail. And yet God still called him. When questioned as to what the greatest commandment is, Jesus said the first commandment and the greatest is that you will love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. And then immediately he follows it without being asked or prompted. He says, and the second is like it. And I find it in Mark 12, 31. The second is this, you shall love your neighbor as you love yourself, for there is no other commandment greater than these. You should love your, Jesus is not speaking about your next door neighbor. He's talking about the people who are around you while he was talking. Your neighbor is the people you live life with. Your neighbor is the person you walk by that you don't know. Your neighbor is the homeless man you drive by. Your neighbor is the people you don't care to say hi to. Here's point number two. When living like Christ, you need to look at others with eyes of love. You need eyes of love in order to look at people. We see in 1 John 4, chapter 8, the Bible says this. It says that God is love. At his core, he is love. Every every action God ever took is predicated by love. Everything God ever does is predicated and just everything is motivated by God's immense love for us. And And then knowing that, it means that we should love our neighbors. We should love people. But instead, we judge people. And scripture is clear that the same measure in which we judge others, so shall we be judged. I have to look at them with eyes of love. I have to love the people who have hurt me. I have to love those who have done wrong to me. I can't view them based on what I know about them. The hardest thing for you to do in life is to look at people based on what God knows about them. Not based on what you know about them. Because I know a lot about you, but I got to look about you with love. You don't got to tell me nothing. Your Facebook tells me enough. Your lifestyle says enough. The way you dress might say enough. But yet I have to look at you with God's eyes. You can't view people based on somebody else. Oh, I know that person. You don't know what she did hmm. or who she did. I'll leave it at that. <laughs> oh, what happened? No, nothing, nothing. I'll tell you later. You see that person over there? Remind me to tell you. I got a joke with a couple of the brothers here at church, and my joke with them is, if I had believed what people said about you, I would have never talked to you. But I chose to know who God said you were instead, and believe in the purpose in your life, and to call it out, and bring restoration through the power of God into your life. Looking past people's lives. But here, here's the problem with loving people like you love yourself. Some of you are sitting here and your response to that is, Pastor, I don't love myself. Pastor, I don't know how to love. I hate 
myself. And if you're telling yourself, I hate myself and I don't love myself and I find myself worthless, you believed in the lies of the labels that others have put on you. You're beginning to believe in the lies of the enemy that you're worthless, that you're not good enough, that you're a failure, that you'll never succeed, that you'll never be saved, that you'll never get it right. You're believing in the labels and lies of others. And you find it hard to love others because you can't love yourself because you're stuck on the labels. You can't get past the label. You can't get past, well, why does it say that I'm a failure? And because it says you're a failure, you never dig deep and find out what's inside of you. You never get some grit in you and get past what people say. You succumb to the lies of Satan. You believe that you're worthless. You believe that you're not good enough. You believe you're inadequate. You believe that God cannot use you. Maybe at one time you thought God was going to use you, but now your faith has died. Your faith has waned, and you are failing in your walk, and you're saying, I don't know what I'm going to do. God can't use me. I'm just nothing. Maybe your family has told you long enough, you're a fake Christian. You're not real because they know your story. We all know family's the first one to judge you. Families hold you to the highest standards. They don't, they think you're better than Jesus. Did you just say heck? You know, heck is a substitution for hell. And if you're going to say heck, you might as well say hell. And if you're going to say hell, you're cursing and going to hell. Oh. That's family for you. Well, nice one, Christian boy. And the first time you mess up, they're there with a magnifying glass plus a telescope. Look at you. I I heard it all my life. Hey, pastor, nice one. And you want to be like, go to hell. And you're just like, we're an honest church, amen. You're just like, I'm going to keep my mouth shut. Because I'm not going to let what somebody's labeling me keep me bound. And, and may, maybe, maybe, just maybe, you're buying into the lies of the enemy. Maybe you can't love your neighbor because you don't love yourself. Because you've not let God flood your heart. And, and here's the key to loving yourself. Here's the key. Believing who God said you are. Over who man says you are. Believing who God says you are over who you think you are. Because sometimes your biggest enemy is the inner me. The person who, who, who you wake up in the morning and, and you're like, ugh. And nobody's talked to you. No one's texted you. No one's bothered you. You're just like, ugh, I hate my life. Ugh, this is going to suck today. Stupid job. Oh, this is going to be terrible. This is bad. This is that. This is this. And you're, you're labeling your own day and you can't love yourself because you don't believe that God has called you victorious, that God has called you free, that God has called you anointed. You just don't believe it. But then, but then there's another group of people who you can't love other people, not because you don't love yourself, but because you think too much of yourself and you are what I call the labeler. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You feel you got the right to label others because people have hurt you. And so you, instead of being hurt, you label and retract from people. And you, you don't look at the heart, you examine the hurt. And instead of examining the heart, you examine the hurt. And because of that, you begin to put expiration dates on people's labels in your life. 
Well, I don't want to deal with that person anymore. It was nice knowing you, but you've hurt me too much and you can't get past the hurt. You're so insecure, you become an introvert in yourself. You know you've got a problem being a labeler when you have less and less friends. When everybody else is a problem and it's not you. I wish I could just be honest today. And you sit in your little house and you get so, nobody loves me, nobody likes me. Oh, go, 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 go. Shut up. If you would stop being judgmental, if you would stop being fake, if you would stop being superficial, you label people a liar, a gossip, or whatever you desire according to what you think about them. And when you do that, it's full of pride because you think more about them than God does. Full of foolishness in your heart. We get hurt at work by family or church and and you begin to distance yourself from people and you begin to disregard people and you begin to judge everyone based on their sins and not their purpose. Begin to judge and focus on the outward and never look on the inside and you focus on the fault of everyone else. And some of you, you don't do it because you're hurt. You do it because you're insecure. You're insecure in who you are. And so you add security to your life by trying to add stability to yourself by tearing down others and you label them whatever you like. Well, I'm not as bad as so-and-so. Well, I didn't do this. I got this problem, but they got that problem plus this problem. I got all types of issues with this person. And you're walking contrary to God. You end up in this prison of bitterness like Jonah. Jonah, after preaching the gospel and preaching a message of salvation to the people of Nineveh, they all got saved, and you wouldn't believe what happened next. He got mad that God saved them. Oh, I'm talking about somebody today. You're mad that God is blessing someone you hate. You're mad that God is moving in the earth. How could they call themselves a believer if they hurt me so bad and you're caught up on their hurt, not realizing their purpose lives above their hurt and they can cuss you out tomorrow and God still might bless them because they're called. But you're focused on the hurt. You're focused on the pain. You're focused on the insecurity. And for those here today who label others according to the hurt they have caused you in your life, You're labeling people's futures based on past that God doesn't even remember. God says this. God says this about your sin. I've chosen to remember it no more. And I've cast it into the sea of forgetfulness, the Bible says. But we have a laundry list of what people have done to us. We've got a laundry list of what they've done to us. And we label people. Can I tell you to let it go? Can I tell you just to love your neighbor? Romans 12, 10. Love one another with a brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Don't wait for them to fail and fall and feel. Yes, they messed up. I couldn't wait. Yes, she got pregnant. Knew it. Skeet. Knew it. Hate you. That's not godly. Proverbs says this. Do not rejoice when your enemy falls and let not your heart be glad when they stumble. I'm talking about loving people to the point of when they hurt you and they hurt, you hurt. I'm talking about loving people so much that even though they tear your name down behind closed doors, maybe they do it in public, you love them irregardless. Love your neighbor. First Peter 4, Peter, he's preaching and he's writing this letter. He says, above all things, above everything, above all, above all, love each other deeply. 
not superficially, love each other deeply because love covers a multitude of sins. If someone's hurt you, love will take care of it. Love covers sins. Love covers hurt. But you're so busy being hurt about something that happened two years ago that you're mad at this person who you call your friend and brother, but you're really mad at them secretly because they hurt you and you can't really be honest with them and you've been being a fake for two years with them because you're hurt. That says more about you than it does about them. Holding on to offense. Harboring hurt in your life. What did Jesus do when people hurt him? Jesus was on the cross being crucified in Luke 23, 34. He says, forgive them. They know not what they do. But we say, they knew. They knew. We judge everyone based on their actions, but only look at our intentions. And then we say stuff like, well, I'm sorry I hurt you. Or you say stuff like, I'm sorry you got hurt by what I said. I got a cousin who's in the balcony, her name was, and, and he used to say that to me. And he's like, well, I'm sorry what I said hurt that person. <laughs> and I would be like, dude, you can't say that. You have to say, I'm sorry that what I said offended you. I probably shouldn't have said it. Took him about three months, he got it. I don't know if he lost it, but at that point he had it. Amen. And it says, he says, Jesus said, forgive them. They know not what they do. And some of you are sitting here and you're full of hatred and you have a lot of hurt. And your first response to that, that verse is this. I'm not Jesus. And the laughing is conviction. And you're saying, I'm not Jesus. You like everything I said until that point. Well, I ain't Jesus, fool. I ain't going to do it. But here's the thing about, here's the thing, here's the thing about being a Christian is that we're called to be Christ-like. You're called to duplicate. And the Bible says this, the Bible says this, in the same measure in which we forgive others. Have you ever heard the Lord's Prayer and forgive us our trespasses, our sins? See, there's, 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 two, there's trespasses and iniquities. Iniquities are inside sins. Trespasses are outside sins. In other words, iniquity is lust. A trespass is adultery. This makes sense? So an iniquity is me thinking I want to punch you in the face because I hate you. But a trespass is me punching you in the face. And so the Bible says this, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Forgive us ours as we, it's a give and take. In the story of the merciful servant, of the unmerciful servant rather, Jesus says that if we don't forgive others, the father will not forgive us. And for those of you who are sitting here, I'm not Jesus. Well, with that attitude, you just might not meet him either. Because those who don't forgive are not forgiven. According to scripture. By the same measure, he'll forgive you. As we forgive those who trespass against us. And we have to give up our rights to be offended. Forget about what others are labeling you. And here's another reason why. What you label someone will never mean more than what God labels them. What you call someone will never mean more than what God calls them. When we rather believe something about someone above what God believes about them, that's the epitome of pride. 
We're displaying immense pride, believing that others are worse than God sees them. You need eyes of love for your brother in Christ. I'm not preaching something to you that I don't know about myself. There was this one instance that I, I, I was tagged in a Facebook status, and I read this Facebook status, and, and it said on Facebook, this is many months ago, and this has been happening to me for years. Uh, it said on Facebook, I went to Pastor Lewis's church. I was really blessed. I saw a lot of people that other folks have rejected in different churches, and I had such a good time. And then they tagged me on it, and I, I was like, oh, that's cool. And then my phone started blowing up, and people were just talking bad about me. And people were saying things, and they think I don't know Spanish. I can read Spanish, trust me. I got Google Translator if I can't, and my wife. And I'm sitting at my house, and this thread is going and going and going. It's like 130 comments long. It's going, and people are talking. Some people are defending me, but others are just talking and talking and talking and talking and saying things about our church and saying this about me and saying that about me. And that same night, that same night, I was supposed to go to this pastor's meeting. And I knew that the pastor, he was going to be at that meeting who's talked so much trash about me. I never even met this guy, and he had talked so much about me. And it was his family and his people on this Facebook thread, and they were just going off, and they were saying this and saying that. And I was sitting, and I told my wife, honey, I don't even want to go to this meeting now. It's supposed to be a brotherhood meeting of pastors, and I know there's at least three people who just, I've never met these guys. They just don't like the way we do church or I do church, and, and, and they just talk about me, and they've called me all types of names, and, and I've heard it all. I sat in my car, and I remember I sat in my car, and I, I called Jonathan Cologne. I'm like, John, I'm outside this church. I don't want to go in here because I don't know how I'm going to react. Either, either Lewis is going to show up or Felipe is going to show up. And if Felipe is going to show up, call the cops because there's only so much someone could take. And I, I, said, I said, I don't know. He's like, where you at? I'll go with you. I'll go with you. He was in Norwalk. And I'm like, you know what? No, if I, if I do go, I'm going to face this by myself. I'm talking about ridicule. I'm talking about calling me things that you wouldn't even call the worst enemies. Men of God, people who call themselves leaders. And so I got out my car, I wiped all my tears away, got put my big boy pants on. And I walked around the corner of the church. And as I walked around the corner, there was the man right there. I wanted to say to myself, go crazy. But all I could say was, oh, my God, God bless you. I've heard so many amazing things about you and your ministry. My name is Pastor Louis Burgos. I pastor Citywide Church. And I, if anything I could do for you, please let me know. I love you. I, I said to him, I said to him, I said, brother, what you've done in Bridgeport has allowed me to do what I'm doing in Bridgeport. Thank you. And he just looked at me. He was like, oh, I'm by my church. God bless you. <laughs> I'm talking about killing people with love. I can label them whatever I want to. I can call them whatever I want. Every name in the book, if I wanted to, to be true. I can call them liars and everything. Else. I call them men of God. Because I'm going to see who God saw in them to put them in that position. I'm not, I'm not preaching to you something I've not had to do daily. I'm not telling you something that I have not already done. But we have to desire to see people through eyes of love. 
See what God sees in them. Can I tell you something? Satan's primary goal in labeling you is to hinder you from seeing what God's purpose is for your life. Not just in you, but in others. Because if he can get you to hate yourself, there's no way you can love others. I never came across a can of Campbell's soup that didn't know there were a can of Campbell's soup. I never came across a can of chicken noodle Campbell's soup that said, I don't know what I am, pastor. Because the label, they believed it. I never came across a jar of Heinz mustard that thought they were ketchup. They always knew I am mustard. I am yellow. My label says mustard. I believe it. I've never seen a bottle of Aunt Jemima's maple syrup go through an identity crisis. Because Aunt Jemima puts on the label syrup. I've never in my life seen a bottle of milk wonder if it was water. Am I Poland Springs? I don't know what I am. The label says it all. Pastor, what in God's name are you talking about? Maybe you're missing something. Some of you think God can't because you believe the label. Because here's the thing about labels. Labels are convincing. Here's, here's point number three. Here's point number three. When you live like Jesus, you got to call out the purpose in others even if you can't see it in yourself. He looked throughout scripture and God, when he deals with people, he sees Abram and he goes, Abram, your name shall be Abraham. Abram meant one thing, but Abraham meant father of nations. He goes to Abram's wife and he's like, Sarai, you're going to be Sarah. Sarai means princess. Sarah means mother of nations. God will always label you according to the purpose in his life. He said, I don't care if your mother called you Abram. I'm going to call you Abraham because my purpose is greater than what your mother labeled you. Jacob, I call you Israel. I don't care if you were a liar back then. You have power in God. That's what Israel means, power in God. And I'm going to label you according to what I called you. Simon, I'm going to call you Peter because you're going to be the rock that I put these other 11 disciples around. I don't care what the world says. You're crazy. You're loud. You're audacious. You're something. Many a man have prematurely counted people out counted me out they've labeled me they called you all types of things but there is destiny running through my life there is purpose running through my veins and i choose to see what god sees in me church when you learn to examine the heart when you have eyes of love and when you see purpose in others you can flip the switch you can flip the switch because either you could believe what man sees or you can believe what God might see here. You can see what others see, or you can see what God sees. Because others might see you as a traitor or a rebel, but God sees you're forgiven. God calls me a pastor when others call me something. God calls me a 
leader when others say I'm nobody. God calls me saved. God says I'm filled with grace. God says I am set apart. God has shown me mercy. God has given me authority. God has given me peace. God has given me power. Others might label you something else, but what God sees is a different story. God gives you purpose. God makes you a mentor. God shows you that you are loved. You are free. What others think about you does not matter. What God sees in you what God sees, but man, man, man sees this. Man doesn't want to believe God has called you. Man does not want to believe God has a purpose for you. But when God flips the switch on your life, when God flips it and God says, no, they have spent a season of a mess in your life, but I call them now. I call them out. I call them out of their life of sin and I give them purpose. You're not a failure. You're not a mistake. You're not a mess up. You're exactly who God called you to be. You are courageous. You are set apart. You are saved. You're a great father. You're a great mother. You're destined for greatness. Don't believe the labels of the enemy. Don't believe what the devil says. Believe what God says. And every time you feel like this, begin to pray and say, God, I don't see the purpose in my life. God, I'm losing focus and learn to switch it, switch it on and learn to flip that switch and say, you know what, God, I'm going to believe what you say. I don't care what no one says about me. God, I'm going to believe what you say because what you say is more important than me. I don't care how wayward I get. I'm coming back to you. I know you're with me. I know you got my back. But there's going to be nights, there's going to be nights, there's going to be nights where it gets tough to believe God's call. It gets tough to believe God's purpose. One of the gifts that God has given me is the ability to see the best in others. You can hurt me a thousand times. Ask my wife, she hates this about me. I'm like, but they, they didn't mean it, honey. They're awesome. They didn't mean that. But Lewis, let's, I, I don't understand. It's, it's, a, it's, it's just who I am. I don't want to deal with that. I, I, I love them. I don't have the right to be hurt. There's times where God has given me the ability to see purpose in others. I see leaders before they know the lead. I see pastors and teachers before they believe themselves. And I see people. And, I, and sometimes they lose focus. You got to re-encourage them. No, no, no. God's called you for this. And you've got to labor in what God has called you to do. Because you got to believe it. And you got to go to somebody's life. And you got to flip that switch and be like, listen. Listen, God has purposed you. And God has ordained you. And you've been called for a time like this. And if nobody else sees it, what God sees is more important. If nobody else believes in you, God believes in you and my dad taught me me and God make a majority it doesn't matter what nobody else says about me if God believes in me I've got everything that I need if God stands with me I've got everything I need there's nobody that can convince me otherwise I flipped the switch in my life and there's days where I'm down and out and there's days where I can't believe and I don't have hope for myself and I go to somebody else and I'm like, you got to pray for me. And I'm like, Pastor, God has called you. 
pastor God has predestined you there is purpose lurking in you there is greatness hiding behind the fear and the labels what other people have called you you got to believe pastor and I begin to look and see what God sees and I begin to look and see that God has purposed me and I know that I am who God says I am I am who God called me to be. I am called. I am purposed. I am anointed. I am chosen. I am predestined. I know it. And then then it's not good enough just for me to know it. It has to get to that point where I show others. And I, I meet I meet many people who see this in themselves. A pastor, I could never. Pastor, I just don't see it. They come into my office, they sit down in my chair and, and they say, Pastor, my life is such a mess, I'll never get it together. Tears streaming down their face and, and as, as a pastor, your job should be to guide them into truth. And I say, listen, listen, either you're going to believe the lies of the enemy or you have to flip the switch of your life. And believe what God says. You're going to believe what God but you don't understand what I've done. You don't understand my past. I, I've made some big mistakes. I'm struggling with this lifestyle. I'm dealing with this issue. I, I, I don't. I got myself into another mess. I just don't know what. Listen, listen. You are called. You're called. Point blank. God has a purpose for you, for your kids. So, some of you people here, you're not struggling to serve God for you. It's, it's not about you. Satan sees so much purpose in your kids. He tries to derail you so that you, you, you get what I'm saying. He tries to derail you so that you won't be the example. And it'll take them 20 years to get to God rather than know God all their life because they had a good mom and dad. You struggle with righteousness. You struggle with holiness because, because the enemy is after your kids. It's not even about you. And you can see purpose in them, but you can't see purpose in you. It doesn't matter what the world sees. I've been labeled for the last six years of my life. Got to the point, just don't care anymore. Because what God says about me resonates more than what man says. What God sees in you means more than what man sees in you. And what God has called you and what God has predestined you for, it's greater than what man sees. I believe with all my heart that I'm looking and preaching to people who are men and women of great faith. I believe with all my heart that God has purposed you for great and mighty things and I wouldn't say it if I didn't believe it I believe that God has put people in my path who have the same call as me and that is to be great for God to do mighty things for God and although the enemy might try to lie to you daily and you might slip and fall it's time that you begin to see what God sees in you and see what God sees in others and it's time you would flip the switch in your life and say you know what I'm going to stay on the course because I got a glimpse of what God said I got a glimpse of what he said. And the glimpse of what God showed me is so great. I'm willing to stay in the midst of the worst times of my life. I'm willing to stay put and believe that what God has shown me in the future is going to be great enough to live in this moment. And maybe you're here today and others have labeled you. You've dealt with all types of self-worthlessness. 
You've dealt with all types of labels in your life. People called you a thousand and one things, not even knowing who you are. They, they call you things based on the opinions of others about your life. Can I tell you something? They are unimportant in the landscape of your life. And all that matters is God and God himself. I see God in every single person in this room. I see God has the ability to transform your life. I see that God has the ability to flip the switch in your life and to take you from being a person who is labeled XYZ to being purposed, called on, on the right course, predestined for God, believing what God has said about you. And maybe, maybe, maybe it's just hard for you right now to believe that. some of you are sitting in your seats and you're like that you're saying that that sounds good but that's too good to be true you know that's the actual definition of the gospel the too good to be true news that God would send his only son to die in my place and and that he set me free from all sin that's just the too good to be good news it's too good to be true That's precisely what I'm telling you right now. That what God sees in you is too good to be true. God sees success where you see failure. You know what I love about failure? Failure is like snake venom. (laughs) The antidote is in the the poison itself. And so success is in the very failure that you had. There's the key to success in the failure if you would take time to examine the failure. God can take any mess, any problem, and turn it around for your good. Today I want to offer you a choice. From the front to the back, from the volunteers to the ushers, I want to offer you a choice. One, keep on believing what the world says about you. Keep on believing what men have called you. Keep on believing the lies of the enemy. Keep on believing that you're no good, that you're not good enough, you'll never be good, you're never going to make it, you're this, you're that. Keep on believing when people say based on your path or take one moment of your life, have a point of difference and say, I'm going to believe what God says. Because what God says is so much more important than what man says. If you would stand to your feet, come on, everybody, just bow your heads. Let's have a moment with the Lord right now. If you would just bow your heads and I want to challenge you today to live like Christ. I want to challenge you to examine the heart of others, to view people with eyes of love, and to call out the great things in other people, to see the purpose in your life. Come on, every head bowed, every eye closed. This one's for everybody today. I don't know about you, but I'm at a point in my life where I need to flip that switch. Come on, if that's you, you're lifting your hand as high as you can. Pastor, I want to flip the switch in my life right now. I want to see what God sees in me. I don't care what no one else thinks. I don't care what no one else says about me. I want to flip that switch right now. I believe for far too long that I couldn't do it, that I'm not good enough, but I believe in this moment that God has called me, that God has predestined me, that I have a purpose in Him, that I have a destiny, not a small destiny, but a great destiny, not small things but God will use me to accomplish great things for him come on if you believe that right now lift your hands right now I want to flip that switch pastor I don't want to go back to this old life I don't want to go back to that I want to believe what God says I don't care what the world says come on we're lifting our 
your hands as high as you can. There's no shame today. We're believing. We're believing right now, God. We're going to have a moment of difference, a point of difference where our life will never be the same. A dividing point in our life where we're going to believe finally who God says we are. Come on, every head bowed, every eye closed. Come on, if you got your hand up, I want you to say this prayer with authority and boldness. Amen? Say, Father, I'm going to believe in your truth instead of the lies of the enemy. I'm taking off the labels. I'm taking off the lies. And I'm going to believe. Come on, say it with three. I am called. I am purposed. I am predestined. You have greatness in store for me. There is no more messed up just thoughts in my life. Come on, tell them, I believe you will guide my steps. Come on, I believe that you have called me to be greater and greater and greater than I could imagine. Come on, somebody shout, Lord, I'm flipping the switch today. Come on, Lord, I'm going to flip that switch right now. I'm bringing out what you see in me. I'm bringing out that leader. I'm bringing out that mentor. I'm bringing out that person you see in me. Lord, I'm bringing it out right now. Come on. Somebody begin to cry out to him right now. I believe it. Come on. If you believe it, just shout it. I believe it. Lord, speak to me now. Come on. You are forgiven. God is with you in this moment today. Come on. Somebody give God some praise in this church.